Good morning, church. You guys up for a duck joke this morning? Yeah. Okay, so this, it was the migration season. You know, the ducks migrate back and forth. And when they're flying up there, it's pretty cold. So the duck goes into a pharmacy to buy some chapstick. And the pharmacist knows that he probably ain't going to see this duck for another year at least. So he says to him, how, says to the duck, how are you going to pay for this chapstick? And the duck says, just put it on my bill. That's the best I can do this morning. Oh, yeah. Get untangled here. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you and praise you for who you are. Thank you for sending your son that we might have everlasting life. Thank you for the Holy Spirit to help us in this life and empower us to be a witness for you. And we just invite you, Holy Spirit, who inspired the word of God, to come and speak to us now from that word of God. Lord, that we might glean some things from your word to help us in this life. We thank you that you are the teacher, Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you are so patient with us. We just ask now that we would be changed by your word so that when we leave this place, we'd be just a little more like Jesus than we were when we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, first thing I'd like to do is um, thank all the mothers. How many mothers we got here? Stand up if you're a mother. Please, let's give them a hand. We, huh? we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be here without them, amen? So thank you, moms, for all that you do. Um, a lot of what you do is a thankless job. What am I doing? Where's the in your pocket? Over here. Okay. It takes two or three people to dress me in the morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Need a lot of help, I do. So we thank you, Lord, for moms. I don't have one anymore. She went to heaven, got tired of this place long time ago. <clears throat> so we're going to look at the third chapter of Jonah today as we're going through that book. And uh, I entitled this message, The God of the Second Chance. Jonah got a second chance. And what I'd like to do first is just a little bit of review, just a very short time. Um, what have we seen so far? Um, we've seen that Jonah is the prodigal prophet. If you look at the story of the prodigal son and you look at the story of Jonah, there's a lot of similarities there. I mean, he was running from God, rebelling from God. The prodigal son was running from his father's house, you know, squandering all his money, etc., etc. But when he came back, the father never stopped loving him and ran to him and hugged him and had a big party for him. 
And when Jonah cried out to God in the belly of the fish, as Steve pointed out last week, God had severe mercy on him. Severe mercy. Jonah thought he was running for his life when he was running from God, but in reality, he was running from his life because he was running from what God had called him to do. And prophets are human, just like you and I. And, you know, he was asleep in the bottom of the boat, but he was also asleep spiritually. I think Steve pointed that out last week as well. Um, so he was pretty much out of it, we would say today. Jonah made some bad decisions that affected all the people around him, all the sailors on that boat. Think about this for a minute. If Jonah's bad decision affected all those heathen people that had no connection to God like Jonah did, how much more, when we make a bad decision, I just wonder how much it affects the body of Christ. Because we are one in the Spirit. We are all connected. And I wonder how much one of our decisions, if it affected them, these heathen people, I think it would affect us even more. So it behooves us to walk out the word in our life. We saw when these heathen people saw this miracle on the ship, um, revival broke out, and they all started worshiping Jehovah. They started worshiping Jonah's God. Jonah wasn't there. Billy Graham wasn't there. There was no evangelist there. The Spirit convicted them, and they, you know, they just saw this miracle. They threw him overboard, and it just got calm. <laughs> and they couldn't believe it. I mean, this is a hurricane-type storm. This wasn't just a little wind. They'd thrown everything overboard, including Jonah. And we saw that disobedience, um, especially when you're rebelling from God, it could cause you to become fish food. You know, it happened to Jonah. I mean, that was extreme. But when you're rebelling against God, when you know what he wants you to do and you do the opposite anyway, that's very dangerous. So repent, repentance, when he repented, repentance brought God's great mercy. Repentance caused Jonah to thank and praise God. And praise the Lord in the middle of his affliction, which in turn brought God's deliverance. Even the fish or the sea creature, maybe God designed a special creature for this. We don't know for sure. But it's called the fish in the Bible, the great fish. Vomited Jonah up on the beach. Even the fish had sense enough to obey Jonah. <clears throat> so we're going to start in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Jonah was an exceeding, Nineveh was an exceeding great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. 
Then he cried out, saying, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was his sermon. In the New King James, it's eight words. In some other translations, it might vary how many words. So I want us to look at, but just before we get into that, I want us to look at Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 5 to 7. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, yet had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come, and the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. So, Obedience pleased God better than sacrifices. He's just looking for people that will obey him. That's why when you feel the unction in your spirit to give a word or something or one of the other gifts, you need to do it. You need to use it. Be obedient to God because it isn't about you. It's about being a blessing to everyone else. Hallelujah. So if you miss God in your walk with him, I know none of you have ever done that probably, but I have. If you miss God in your walk with him, you have to go back to where you last knew you heard from God for sure. And if God went straight and you turned right, then you need to turn, then you come back and you turn right. You just have to backtrack and find out where you missed him. And uh, it's not all over when you miss it. He will find you like he did Jonah and give him a second chance. So Jonah was vomited up on the beach by the fish and God showing his great mercy again to Jonah. Uh, some say the beach was the coast of Israel. That's the most um, believed school of thought. The Arab tradition says it was Syria. It's really immaterial which beach it was. What matters is that God was showing great mercy to Jonah. Just like he'll show great mercy to you and I. I don't know where I would be without the mercy of God today. Probably dead and gone a long time ago. So how many would agree with me that here's Jonah on the beach now, that Jonah could probably use a shower, amen? I mean, he's been in the fish for three days, stomach acid, all this stuff going on in there. And I want to relate a true story to you about somebody who was in the belly of a fish more recently. I don't know when it was, but this story was given to me by a very credible source. And it comes out of a book called The Harmony of Science and Scripture by Harry Reimer. And I'm just going to read it to you so I don't mess it up. He tells the true story of an English sailor who fell overboard while in the English Channel. And he was actually swallowed up by a great whale shark, it was called. And a fleet, fleet of trawlers hunted that shark and killed it two days later, at least 48 hours later after the sailor was lost. And when the shark's carcass was opened up, 
they found the missing sailor alive inside of that fish. His, all his hair was gone, and his skin was bleached white from the stomach acid. Now, Mr. Reimer interviewed this man personally and collaborated his story. It's just an amazing story. And he was in the fish two days, and Jonah was in the fish for three days. So Jonah heads for Nineveh. Uh, Nineveh was roughly 800 miles from the coast, the Mediterranean coast of Israel, east of there. So it would have taken him a while to get there. If he'd walked 20 miles a day, it'd take him 40 days. And, you know, he may, may have walked faster than that or slower than that. We don't know. I'm old, but I'm not that old. I wasn't there. <clears throat> so Jonah goes to Nineveh to give them God's message. Now picture, if you will, in your mind's eye, Jonah. You know, by the time he got to Nineveh, he probably had a couple of baths. And he probably got all the seaweed out of his teeth. And he was ready to deliver God's message. Um, well, what about his looks? If this other guy was in this fish for two days and his skin was bleached white and his hair was gone, in those days everybody had long hair, pretty much everybody, and they, their skin was olive like our skin is when we have a good suntan at the end of the summer. So if Jonah had all his hair gone, that would mean his beard fell out as well. doesn't say that in the Bible, but that's hair. And if he was white as snow, instead of being that olive color, he would have been a pretty scary looking character. Amen? So he walks in and he goes to Nineveh like that. He didn't look anything like he did before he was fish food, in my opinion. I mean, he was in the way of uh, this fish uh, extra day. And if it did that to this other guy in just two days, it's reasonable to think that it did the same thing to Jonah. So Nineveh was a great city, as the Bible said. There's more than 120,000 people. Some say as many as 160. I don't know. It was 60 miles across. Most of the um, there's other schools of thought on that, but about the three-day walk thing. If you walk 20 miles a day, take three days to get across there. What you maybe not have heard is that Nineveh had very high walls that were 100 foot high around the city. It was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And the walls were so wide um, that you could run three chariots on top of the wall. So well, a chariot with its wheels sticking out is about the size of an automobile, I think, roughly. So put three automobiles side by side, and that's close to what the top of that wall was like. So this was a big wall, a big city. Very powerful. Hallelujah. I want to read another scripture in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says this, 
Remember, Jonah only preached the eight-word sermon. Hmm. I wonder if God's trying to tell me something. Only eight words. Verse 12, Hebrews 4. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and, to the discern and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The power is in the word, not in the guy that's presenting it or in the presentation. I mean, a smooth presentation is wonderful. We all like that. But the power itself is in the word of God. Hallelujah. And I'm grateful for that. <laughs> I'm not as smooth as some people. In John 1, 1 and 2, there's another famous scripture that you all know by heart probably. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and God was, and God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So Jesus and the Word are one. No wonder it's a living Word. Amen? It's quick and powerful and active. Jesus is uh, actively interceding for us right now. He's also our high priest of our confession. That's why you need to be careful what you say. Because if you're saying, that's a whole other sermon. I don't want to go there. So Jesus and the Word are one. And it's alive. So let's look at Jonah's big sermon. So remember, he's got no hair. He's white as snow. Doesn't look like anybody else around there. Um, it's reasonable to assume that. So he walks into Nineveh crying out. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And you would think these heathen people would say, who is that kook? What's he talking about? <clears throat> he didn't give any details. Like who's going to overthrow? Why are, we, why are they going to be overthrown? Nothing like that. Just those eight words. Well, the why, they knew they were sinful. They figured that out. And so that told them who was going to overthrow them. It would be God himself. And they saw what happened to Jonah. By then they probably had got his story. I don't know for sure. But something like that gets around pretty fast. I mean, that don't happen every day. Somebody's in the belly of a fish for three days and comes out alive. So they believed that God was going to judge them. They didn't question Jonah's sermon. And maybe Jonah's appearance had something to do with that. They're looking at the judgment of God walking through their town shouting, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. I mean, it could have been very powerful to see this. I mean, today we would just say he's yelling. He was proclaiming. To cry out means to um, call out to you, to call forth, to proclaim, those kinds of things. He's just yelling it. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. You know, take a few more steps and say it again. 
as he's going. Here's this guy, white as snow, doesn't look like anybody else, no hair, making this proclamation. And instead of um, naming him a kook or something and having him arrested, they repented. They believed God. Let's look at Jonah uh, 3, beginning at verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Wow. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne and laid aside his robes, covered himself with sackcloth and satin ashes. Sackcloth and ashes is a symbol of humbling yourself and repentance. And he caused it to be proclaimed and publicized throughout Nineveh by the degree of the king and his noble saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily. That's a prevailing cry to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from the fierce anger uh, that we may not perish. So the king decreed a belief from the king on down. That's really powerful. What does that tell you? That tells you there was unity. From the king on down, from his nobles, his officials, right on down to the lowest peasant, they all believed and repented. Unity is a very powerful thing. And the, then the king declared it throughout Nineveh. I think that made Jonah's assignment easier. The king's word was the final authority. This was not a democracy. When the king said something, uh, you either obeyed or you know, there was a chance you could lose your head especially in those heathen nations. They didn't fool around. So he decreed it throughout Nineveh, this big city. <clears throat> and some say that um, there's no indication that Jonah walked um, through the city more than one day. But I think because verse 4 talks about um, the first day's walk, I think he probably did walk through it all three days. But um, I'm sure that the king's decree made it much easier for Jonah as he was walking through the city. <clears throat> but some think he only walked that first day. So I want to take you to the book of Joel. And there's a call to repentance there. That they were, um, some think they were quoting it. Joel chapter 2, verse 12 and 14. Now therefore say, the Lord, turn to me with your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. In those days, they would rent their garments a lot. 
whenever repenting. God says, don't rent your garment, rent your heart. I'm looking for your heart. And guess what? He hasn't changed any. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. And he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord our God. Hallelujah. <clears throat> a man named Tim Mackey, who some of the guys have quoted, said this. He said, except God's judgment is, accepting God's judgment is hard for us, but it brings God's mercy and grace. Isn't that a very true statement? It's hard to receive God's judgment, but it brings his mercy and grace every time. Every time. He wants to relent. He took no pleasure in, you know, doing what he did to Jonah. That didn't make his day. Nineveh had a complete change of heart. There had to be quite a move of the Holy Spirit in that place. Because he's preaching this eight-word sermon, yelling it out, looking like he does, walking through the city. And these were the results that he got. Repentance. Remember, this was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. It was a very big city, a very big empire, and a very cruel people. And for them to just just turn like on a dime and do this is just an expression of God's power. There's no other explanation for it. You know, there's no details in this sermon. There's just yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And they just believed him from the king on down to the lowest peasant. He declared a fast not only of the people. This was a total fast. No water, no food, no nothing. Of beasts as well. So the animals didn't get to eat or drink. They took this very serious. Back in verse 3, it calls Nineveh an exceeding great city. And some scholars also say that it could be translated a city important to God. And I think our text, um, the book of Jonah, proves that it was a city important to God. I mean, these were terribly cruel people. Mean. I could tell you some of the things they did, but that's not good. Just mean things. But God loved them. And we need to love the unlovable just like God loved those people in Nineveh. Some people are easy to love and some people are hard to love. Amen? My wife's been loving me for 60 years. Somebody should send her a sympathy card. <clears throat> Hasn't been easy.
So God's love is stronger than your sin. We heard him say that earlier. He's stronger than, it was stronger than their sin. It's stronger than Jonah's sin. And it's stronger than yours and mine. <clears throat> I don't have this one in your notes, but 1 Corinthians 13, 8a says this, love never fails. It's talking about God's love. It never fails. It never fails. Why does God love never fail? What's the secret? Because love is a person. God himself is love. And God never fails. He doesn't always get his way because of rebellion or disobedience like Jonah did. I know none of you have ever done anything like that. But I have. We built the Bible school. I argued with him about building this building, where to put it. Like, I'm smarter than him, you know. It needs to be over here in this flat ground. God said, no, you need to build it over there on that hill. That's oh, not a good place, Lord. It needs to be here in this flat ground. So on and so forth. I found out a year later after it was built, they have uh, something like 15... Um, I call them tornadoes, they call them something else over there. Typhoons every year on average. And all the wind usually comes from the other side of that hill. So by building the Bible school into the hill with the back toward the hill, um, the wind really had nothing to catch. It just kind of comes over the hill. Just like uh, when you see on a car when they show that, how the air goes over it. And if we'd have built it where I wanted it to, it would have been facing the wind and it would have been in the open and with the big overhangs and everything and the roof would have been gone and who knows what else. So God is, you know, smarter than we are. We need to learn. I need to learn not to question him when he says to do something. Just do it. <clears throat> so his love never fails because he's a person. He's almighty God. Hallelujah. That brings us to verse 10. Verse 10 of Jonah 3. Then God saw their works. That means he saw um, their works confirmed their sincerity and their faith. When God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them and he did not do it and showed mercy to them. And of course that made Jonah mad and you'll hear all about that next week. Because the Assyrians were the enemy of Israel and Jonah was looking for some payback. And... Uh, <laughs> God was not into that. He was loving those people. So you might want to write this down. Verse 10. God's message of judgment. God's message of judgment always has the intent, always has the intent of repentance and reconciliation. When God gives a message of judgment, it's not to condemn you it's to bring you to repentance 
and reconcile you to him. Nineveh's repentance released God's mercy. It's a powerful thing. We find it so hard to do. And the reason it's so hard to do is because of our flesh. We have to crucify that every day. So on the end of your notes, I've got five things there, five lessons or five things we can take home from this uh, chapter. If you miss God, he will find you, as I said before, and give you a second chance. It's not all over when you miss God. You just need to go back and find out where you missed him and then go the right direction. What happens when you miss God after a while you'll start striving. Whatever you're doing, you're out there on your own now because he went this way and you went straight. And so you begin striving because things ain't going right. And then you pray to God and ask him to help you. God will not help you strive. He won't help you strive. Just remember the scripture where the um, apostles were out in the boat, the disciples, and they were rowing, a storm came up. Jesus came walking on the water. And read that, look at that. He almost walked by them because they were striving at the oars, trying to do it in their own strength. Nobody was praying. They were just trying to do it. He wants you to commit your stuff to him. Let him do it. So missing God is one thing. But number two, Jonah rebelled against God. He ran from God. He knew what God wanted to do and he went the opposite direction of where he was supposed to be going. So in Jonah's case, he became fish food. I mean, that was pretty extreme, but it, it called for extreme measures. Hallelujah. Number three, it's so simple. If, if we just obey God, it always brings God's results. If we just obey Him. Every time we do it God's way, we get God's results. Every time. Jonah preached an eight-word sermon with no details. And they repented from the king on down. Because that's what God told him to do, give this message. He didn't say anything but what God told him to say. That's one of the reasons Jesus was so successful because he didn't do anything unless he saw God do it or heard him say to do it. So he knew what was going to happen before he prayed for people. He knew it was the Lord's will to heal them or to feed them or whatever the case might be. He already knew that. So if we just obey, trust and obey. Hallelujah. And there's a scripture in Acts 11.18. <clears throat> when they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. The word granted means just some of the words to describe it are bestow, to bring forth, to deliver, to give. The original Greek says, has given unto. 
Church, repentance is a gift from God. We need His help to repent. Because we just want to get even. Our flesh just wants... You know, this is just human nature. But God wants us to repent so that He can relent. <clears throat> Hallelujah. That was number four. And the fifth one is God's love. Just a reminder. God's love and mercy is more powerful than our sin. It doesn't matter what we've done. You know, murderers on death row come to Jesus. God's love and mercy is more powerful than any sin you can come up with. So that was my first closing. The second one, we're going to go to Chronicles this is another scripture you can all quote. I'm going to read not only verse 14, but verse 15. And these words were God's appearance to Solomon the second time. It was appearing to him. And he said this. He said, if my people who are called by my name, that's you and I, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. How many of you think our land could use some healing? And verse 15, when, when you've done this, now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. I want God's ears to be attentive and eyes to be attentive to prayers in this place. Amen? Amen. So what we're going to do in closing, first of all, sinful Nineveh repented from the king on down and God relented. You know, if God's a just God, there's got to be some judgment for this country. We all know the sins that are piled up high before God, abortion, immorality, idolatry, worshiping stuff, putting stuff ahead of God. It's okay to have stuff as long as it's not ahead of God. If stuff has you, you're in trouble. And a lot of Americans, a lot of Christians, stuff has them. And it's very sad. So we know America could use some prayer. So God watches over his word to perform it. And this is all about repentance and God relenting. Chapter 3. And so in closing, we're going to do some praying. And I'm going to start out praying. And we're just going to take whatever time is necessary. And I want to make one other quick point. When Jonah was in the belly of the fish and he repented, he began to praise God and thank God for his goodness. That's when deliverance came. And that'll be the next step after we pray. So I'm just going to pray and then 
if God puts a prayer on your heart, when I'm finished, I'll bring you the microphone. And we're just going to take a little time and pray for our nation, our, our county, our, our city, whatever God puts on your heart. It all needs prayer. So, Father, we come to you today. We humble ourselves under your mighty hand of grace and mercy. We see that this notorious city, Nineveh, was... You relented from destroying it. It was a city that was important to you. And Lord, I know America is important to you as well. For this nation was founded in your name for the freedom of worship, to worship you as we please, Lord. <clears throat> Take off some of the restrictions that religion had on them. And so, Lord, we just lift up our nation to you. And as a representative, as a citizen of this nation, we just repent for every aborted baby. It's Mother's Day, Lord, and a baby will either be, or some babies were aborted yesterday and probably tomorrow, and maybe even some today, I don't know. We repent for allowing this to happen. Oh yes, we've done this and we've done that. We've done many things to try to stop it. Even our tax dollars pay for it to a certain extent. So Lord, we repent for allowing this to happen. We repent, Lord, for the idolatry in America for worshiping cars and houses and mink coats instead of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Lord, you want to bless your people. You want to prosper us. I believe in that. But you don't want us to worship that stuff. You're a jealous God. And we worship you only, Lord. We repent, Lord, of the immorality in this country. Some of the stuff that's on TV nowadays wasn't even spoke of when I was a kid. Nobody even mentioned it out loud. Now they... So, Lord, we're on a downward spiral. And we're... So sorry, Lord, that he came to this. You put us in charge of this. And we've done a poor job. The body of Christ in general. So, Lord, we repent for the situation that our nation is in right now. And we rent our hearts, God, not our clothes. We rent our hearts that you might relent from any disaster you have planned for this country. 
in the future, Lord. We know that you are a great God of great mercy. <clears throat> You've demonstrated it all through your word. And we're looking for you to relent on our behalf. In Jesus' name. If you get a prayer in your heart, just raise your hand. And I'll bring the mic to you. Dear Heavenly Father, we know how much you love the little children. When I sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, even to my little four-month-old grandson, Lord, he smiles. They know in their spirit, Lord, they receive your love. We pray for all the children, Lord, that are being abused and harmed in so many ways, Lord, that we would not even want to imagine. Father, we cry out to you for these children, Lord. Just watch over them, bless them, and keep them safe, Lord. We just thank you for your great love, Lord, your unspeakable love. Thank you, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Anybody else? And Father, I also ask that you would um, restore the office um, and the uh, gifting of the apostle to the church, as I've been reading about over the last several weeks, and actually the last couple of years, but more specifically the last couple of weeks. I pray, Lord, that you would restore that gifting and that office, that the church can become everything it needs to be, and that through that, Lord, that... Um, people would be confronted with the reality of your power, your authority, and your presence, Lord, so that we can become all that we need to be as your church and truly be the light of the world. Thank you, Lord. Anyone else before we move on? Um, this is for her grandson, Sebastian, who's fighting cancer. And so I would like to lift him up for prayer. I know a lot of you people probably are, are already praying for him. But Lord, we just pray for continued healing for Sebastian, Lord, your little child. We pray that all the cancer will be taken from his body, that he will be a strong and healthy little fella, and that uh, he will give you the glory, Lord, and that they will all give you the glory, and I know that they are, Lord. We just thank you for them, and thank you for hearing our prayers. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
Okay, let's worship our God.